Hello and welcome to the first Envoy podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Shaw. You're probably thinking, what is Envoy and who is Nathan Shaw? Well, Envoy is a youth-based foreign relations analysis group. We run events, write articles, and now run a podcast on topics including but not limited to politics, health, economics, and security. I'm an international relations student at University of Western Australia. I'm also the treasurer of Envoy and hold a degree in economics and management. I have a deep, deep passion for international relations, and I want to help both students as well as citizens of Australia or further abroad uh, keep up to date on the latest events and provide a little bit of insight into why the world of international politics works the way it does. Now, how will this podcast be run? We're planning to make it a weekly podcast. At the start of each podcast, we'll have a quick roundup of the previous week and just a little set of highlights of events around the world. Then we'll move on to a mix of potential segments. We could be taking a closer look at one of those events from the previous week, or we may be talking to uh, an academic or an analyst for an interview, uh, or perhaps a roundtable discussion if we're very, very lucky. Um, but we also may occasionally do a deep dive on some particular topic that has been requested by one of our listeners or we think is particularly interesting and we'd like to bring to light. So today, I'm going to start with the weekly roundup, and then I'm going to move on to a discussion on basically international relations as a general idea, and it's going to be, give you an overview of how it generally works. It's going to be very general, nothing too specific. We'll use a couple terms from the, the, from the field, but just to explain what they mean. So if I reference them in the future, you understand what they mean, and it all makes sense very, very quickly. Let's start with this week's roundup. We'll be looking at South Africa, Brazil, Europe, in particular Germany, and also the Maldives. Editor's note, I've mispronounced the Maldives. Please forgive the momentary lapse in elocution. Let's start with South Africa. South Africa is quite interesting this week because the previous president, Jacob Zuma, has been replaced by the reformer Cyril Ramaphosa. Now, Ramaphosa has come in because Zuma has been basically seen as, as corrupt, or at the very least leading a corrupt government, uh, coinciding with a terrible economic situation in South Africa with very high unemployment, especially youth unemployment, approaching 60%. Now, why this is particularly interesting is because the African National Congress Party, which is the ruling party in South Africa, is dominated by an ethnic group known as Hossa. But the previous leader, Jacob Zuma, was a Zulu, and it was seen in some part as a way to placate the Zulu ethnic minority in the country. Um, there's been previous problems with the Zulu king, Goodwill Zwelithini, uh, instigating, you know, well, at least seen to be instigating uh, violence in the country and uh, particularly against uh, Zimbabwean and Somali people uh, who have come, migrants who have come to the country fleeing uh, desperate economic and uh, security situations in their own country. Now, what you may see was with Cyril moving in, um, he is not part of either of those ethnic groups. But with the loss of a Zulu being in the, the presidency, we may see a return to the previous violence. We're going to keep that an eye for you, and it's certainly something to watch. Now on to Brazil. Brazil's president has recently announced that the military will be in charge of security in Rio de Janeiro. While the military has been called in the past to assist patrolling streets for, for events such as the Olympics or the 2014 Soccer World Cup, the placement of local police under military command is a new development and the first of its kind since Brazilian military dictatorships ended in 1988. Some see this as a perhaps backsliding of the democracy in Brazil. Um, others see it as a attempt to clamp down pretty terrible gang violence happening in the city. Now on to Germany. Now, Germany's Chancellor Merkel has recently announced her preferred successor. Her new deputy leader, Kramp Karrenbauer, is touted as being a conservative bulwark to stabilize the Christian Democrats, uh, the CDU party, after its loss of ground to the right-wing Alternative for Germany party, the AFD. 
This is particularly interesting because Germany is basically the de facto leader of the EU, and it places Mrs. Kramp Karrenbauer on track to arguably the most powerful position in Europe. We'll certainly have to keep an eye on her in the future. Now onto the Indo-Pacific, and principally the Maldives. They've recently found themselves in particular trouble, and in the middle of a contest between India and China. The Maldives' recent economic troubles and increased instability has raised worries in Beijing that their port investments are at risk. The Maldives' location south of India along important shipping routes made an ideal focus for China's One Belt, One Road initiative. However, India has long considered the Maldives to be within its own sphere of influence. A Chinese fleet, including a destroyer and a frigate, have entered the Indian Ocean and are expected to move to protect Chinese investments. While these two ships are not particularly militarily powerful, it is a strong statement of China pushing out its, uh, its interests and its reach much further from its local waters. This means, of course, that it has upset India, which has been trying to resolve the Maldives crisis via a more hands-off approach via the UN. The important thing to watch will be if India sends its own fleet, raising tensions further. And that concludes our roundup. Now we're going to move on to a, a, the next segment, talking about international relations as a general idea. What I'm going to do is something a little bit interesting. I'm trying to connect the idea of the Ukraine crisis with Papua New Guinea and Australia and the refugee crisis we've had here. It may seem like a bit of a big stretch, but the underlying philosophy under both of them will be linked and it will make sense. And it's to give you an idea of commonality that international relations tends to work a particular way, or at least weights itself towards a particular way. And so you will see again and again similar situations popping up around the world. Now, to start with the Ukraine crisis, you really have to start back at the end of World War II. And at the end of World War II, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR, had defeated Germany and was quite powerful and in, in sitting in the middle of Europe. None of the European powers left over had really any strength. They were exhausted after the war to defend themselves or act as a balance against the USSR. And so America had to stay, unlike World War I, where it went back home. This ended up causing what Joseph Joffrey calls the American pacifier. And it's very important because normally in the national system, we have something called the state of anarchy. And it's not people throwing moles of cocktails or tagging street signs. It's the idea that there's no high authority you can appeal to. If you pick up the phone and call 000 or 911, there's no one on the other side that you can be guaranteed is going to come to your aid. And so it's a self-help system where you have to look after yourself. And this results in people establishing militaries. And then you have what's called the security dilemma, where you buy a tank and then the person, you just want to protect yourself. But then the person next door decides, well, you've got a tank that's potentially a problem. Even if now you might be def defensive, in the future you might be offensive. And even then, they can never be sure of your intentions. So they buy a tank. And then your other neighbors buy tanks. Now everyone's got tanks and you're at the same position as you were before where everyone's equal and so you buy an extra tank and so you this spiraling up effect called the security dilemma where as you try to make yourself more secure you end up making yourself more insecure now the american pacifier as joseph joffrey put it is very important because it established effectively an artificial hierarchy in the in europe none of the european powers under nato the north atlantic treaty organization which was the military alliance uh, against the ussr could fight each other because, well, Americans were everywhere, and if they tried to fight, they would immediately be destroyed. And so for basically the start of NATO until now, those countries have been had no reason to worry about each other, and it's allowed the creation of the EU, among other things. However, when the Cold War ended and the USSR retreated, you saw something called NATO expansion. And NATO is basically enlarged or expanded further east over time, and the idea is that, well, if this... 
uh, American pacifier has brought peace to the region, why not just extend it? That surely this is a good idea. As you extend it further and further, more countries will be involved. They won't be able to fight each other, and you have peace in Europe for a long time. However, the problem is it doesn't take into account Russia's interests. Now, in 2008, there was the Bucharest summit. NATO stated that Ukraine and Georgia would someday join NATO. President Putin at the time called it a direct threat to Russia. But surely if it's purely a defensive alliance, that wouldn't matter. Now, after thinking from Russia's perspective here, the Baltic states of Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania had already joined NATO, and Russia wasn't happy about that, but it couldn't really do so much about it because it was still quite weak after its dissolution from the USSR. But Ukraine is a quite a different example. Russia's managed to reconstitute itself somewhat, um, and Ukraine is a much larger land border. It'd be a little bit like... Um, Mexico or Canada inviting Chinese forces along the border with America. That would be completely unacceptable to the Americans. And you, if you want a proof of this, think about what happened in Cuba. Cuba invited the USSR into the Western Hemisphere, and America embargoed and basically pressured Cuba for the next 50-plus years. And it's only now, with uh, recently with Obama's presidency, that we saw that there was a kind of a normalization with Cuba. Um, but even then, it's a, a deeply felt belief in America that Cuba has broken the rules, as it were, that you don't invite uh, major powers into their backyard. And so with Ukraine inviting NATO in, Russia sees that's quite the same way. And that's why Russia intervened and annexed Crimea. Now, there's a reason why the UK and the US didn't come out swinging, even though the Budapest Memorandum in 1994 signed by Russia, the US, and the UK, stated that they would protect the territorial integrity and political independence of Ukraine as a sovereign country, in return for Ukraine handing over its inherited nuclear weapons after the end of the Cold War. But despite this legal document that they had signed, the US and the UK didn't actually come out swinging. They provided aid, but they weren't willing to go to war with Russia, for obvious reasons. Crimea was basically status quo. And so to the US and the UK, they weren't willing to start World War III over eastern Ukraine. But it illustrates something very important. Despite what you may have written down as a legal document, or despite what may seem right as the, the right of Ukrainians to determine their own destiny, international relations often is a matter of power and interests rather than what is morally, morally right or what is legally uh, bound and accepted. And so when those butt up against each other, that's what really determines what happens in the world. So now it's this idea that power and interests are determining, generally at the very least at the great power level, what is generally happening in the world. And certainly there's times where you can have positive sum relationships. Other times there's zero sum and you're competing and you'll use gifts, bribes, threats, cajoling, influence, as much as you can to try and get other nations to find it in their own interest to do what you would like, or at least pressure them enough that they'll do it. Now, there's an exception to this called you know, core interests, the things that you are willing to fight and die over. And most of this is generally territorial integrity. And so if uh, someone invades Australia, Australia is unlikely to negotiate because, well, if you're invaded and taken over, you don't survive anyway. So you may as well fight and try to have a chance at survival. And so you tend to get this rea reaction where on core principles, you'll, you'll fight and die. Um, and then it's just a matter of power and interest. You know, what can you get away with? What will it cost you to get something you want? Now, let's move on to Papua New Guinea. Now, that might seem a bit of a stretch, but the underlying idea of power and interests is still there. Its Supreme Court ruled that the Manus Island Detention Center was not legal and the people detained there should be released into the population and the community. 
However, this has caused a bit of a diplomatic row because Australia has now decided that and stated that the people there are no longer its responsibility. And so it's basically washed its hands of the situation. Uh, it's assisted in, in helping support and build new locations, but has otherwise said that these people are no longer its problem. It is now the problem of the sovereign state of Papua New Guinea. Enter New Zealand. New Zealand offered to uh, resettle 150 people from Manus, and this is two sovereign nations, Papua New Guinea and New Zealand, deciding their own, deciding their own fates. There's no legal doctrine that Australia can appeal to to stop this. However, the immigration minister, Peter Dutton, said quite explicitly that both sides, while they're free to do so, should keep in mind their relations with Australia. And here's where the power and interest come in. Australia has a domestic issue with uh, illegal people smugglers. So you can see how Australia's domestic interest, which is to try and prevent and discourage uh, illegal people smuggling, has influenced its foreign policy and it's willing to use its weight, or at least threaten to use its weight to, and power to try to influence other nations. Both sides have basically pulled back from their original idea of the, idea of the deal. Uh, New Zealand has provided a few million dollars to help the people on Manus Island, but they quite clearly understand that the power and interests of Australia are probably not worth the effort of the deal. And so you can see how the Ukraine crisis, a matter of uh, Russian power and interests and Ukraine's power and interests, uh, is quite similar in this regard to Papua New Guinea and Australia, where you have a nation that is observing activities happening in another nation, deciding it's not in its interest for that to happen, and deciding to intervene in the case of Russia, or at least threaten to intervene in the case of uh, Australia in a more, much more limited way. But the general idea is still there. And this is effectively how international relations works. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes we all get along and it's, uh, it's wonderful. Globalization has brought many countries together. Trade has greatly expanded. Uh, movement of people has greatly increased. And there's a lot more cooperation than there was in the past. However, Nations still compete, especially when it comes to those core interests, the idea of survival and security. And that's the end of the first Envoy podcast. I've hoped the general overview has helped you understand the basics of how international relations work. There's a lot more to expand upon, and in the future we'll do so. Now, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at envoyuwa at gmail.com. If you'd like to make a request for a particular topic, you'd like to submit an article or just provide some feedback, feel free to contact us there. You can also find us at our website, envoyfpa.org. I'm your host, Nathan Shaw, and we've got a lot more coming up soon, so stay tuned.